Well, good morning. Good to see you folks. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. If you're online, if you would take just a second to like and share this, it helps get the message out to lots more people. We appreciate you joining us, and we hope that today's been encouraging to you. And we're going to talk about God's Word. <clears throat> we're in a series called B. And if you notice the graphic on the side, its, it's tagline was a field guide to living on mission. Because we, we use that phrase a lot, right? It's on our, uh, our logo. You see, love God, love people, live on mission. Well, this is kind of how do we live that out practically? What does it look like when we live on mission? So the first series, first message of the series, Mike was talking about being real, authentic. Understand who you are, what you have to bring to the table, because God made you just like you on purpose. Uh, last week, Adam talked about um, being helpful because God put those things into you for a reason, not so that you could just hoard them and keep them for yourself, but to, so that you could leverage those to make a difference in the world that we live in. And today, we're going to be talking about uh, being a listener. Be a listener. Now, what in the world does that have to do with living on mission? Well, lucky for you, I have been married for 35 years tomorrow, which we all know that makes me an expert listener, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it says more about my wife than to me. But uh, listening is kind of one of those things that we, we don't do well, we don't do on purpose. We think we're doing it, but we really aren't. If we're going to live on mission, it's going to happen in the context of relationship. Period. It's going to happen in the context of relationship. So um, all the Facebook fighting that you're seeing, I, I, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but your Facebook rant is not going to have somebody stumble across it, read it, and go, oh, I think just like you now, right? It doesn't happen that way. We're going to make change. We're going to influence people because we are in relationship with them. And it helps us pay attention to more than the sum of the words. Back in the 60s, there was a, 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 a doctor who did some research on communication and came up with this uh, statistical understanding of communication. And he said that about 7% of communication is your words. 93% of communication is beyond that. So we've got to pay attention while we're listening to what's going on. And, and I think that's what I'd like you to see today. Because when we don't pay attention, we tend to make judgments about what's going on. Sometimes about the people that we're interacting with. And we miss our opportunity to speak hope and help and life and feel and look like Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in, in the Gospel of Luke. And, and I want to tell you one more thing. Uh, Mike has mentioned a few times uh, the, the, the Hebrew phrase word Shema, right? Uh, you might already know that that points to a passage in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through about 9. And uh, if you know that, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word here is translated from the Hebrew Shema, and Shema means to listen. But not just, I understand because you spoke my language. Next, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Right? So there's this understanding of who God is. He is who he says he is. So there's a response that's assumed, required. Love the Lord your God with all of who you are because you understand he is who he says he is. So listening is, is really important to God. It should become really important to us because it's going to help us live on mission. Luke chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, I think there's probably one in front of you. Um, if you're uh, watching us on Facebook, you're going to have to go for the second device or an actual copy of the, the old school printed Bible. But Luke chapter 7, uh, starting out in verse 36. And we're going to take this slow because we don't want to miss the details just skimming across the words because the words are only 7% of the communication. You've got to pay attention to the details, right? So now there's a Pharisee who has invited Jesus to dinner. So he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Slow down. A Pharisee has invited Jesus to dinner. Right? So this is early enough on in Jesus' ministry that he hasn't completely ticked off all of the Pharisees. And there's this one guy, Simon, who wants to have a closer look at who Jesus is because he's making some bold claims. He's, he's saying all kinds of things that are counter to what they have grown up knowing and understanding. But he invites him into his home to learn a little bit of firsthand information because, you know, you can have a conversation over a meal, right? And so they went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So, you know, picture a long coffee table, low to the ground. You lean on your non-dominant elbow, probably a cushion underneath you. And with your dominant hand, you, you just go ahead and eat and feed yourself. Well, uh, there are all these people who are invited to the, to the meal, and they come in and begin eating. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, she was weeping. So here is the lady that wasn't invited to the party. So we're going to clear up some things because, again, there's a lot more to the story. You understand Jewish culture? It wasn't uncommon for a religious leader to have a dinner, and the people that were invited, they reclined at the table. Something else that was pretty common is people were very interested uh, in what was going to be talked about because they were going to you know, uh, unpack Scripture. They were going to talk about life and morals. And so there was, there was something that might stretch my faith. So these people kind of stood around the room. Uh, weren't participating in the meal, but they were maybe going to learn something that they didn't know. Maybe their faith was going to be stretched, and they'd walk out a little more enlightened. So all these people were standing around listening. So it wasn't weird that somebody that wasn't invited came. The weird thing was, I don't know what your, your Bible has, you know, the little headings between groups of, of verses. Mine says, Jesus anointed by sinful woman. How'd you like to have that for a name? The weird thing was this lady who had this reputation showed up. It, we're not told what exactly it was that she had done to 
get this branding. And, and doing some reading to get ready for this message, I read lots and lots of different versions, translations of this, tried to figure out exactly why it is that some scholars say, you know, it's probably not just that maybe she had a, an adulterous relationship and, and was found out. It probably is, is, is way different than that. S some scholars think that she was probably a prostitute. We don't know that for sure, but that's just what they surmise from all that they understand about what we read. And so she comes to the, uh, to the Pharisee's house. Common sense would say, why? <laughs> I, I come from a small town, and um, you, you, in the days before cell phones... You could do something stupid in one end of the town, and before you got home, six people have already called your mom, right? Because word travels fast in a small town. She knew going to this house was not going to be pleasant for her. She wasn't going to enjoy herself. But she needed to go and be there. Now, there's some, something else uh, about the story that you, you may want to, to hold on to. They say from what they read in the text, and it's going to become more clear to you as we go through this, that this wasn't the initial encounter of this sinful woman and Jesus. I mean, why would you come to the shame palace? Why would you go to the house of pain where you know as soon as you walk through the door, everybody's going to start going, what is she doing here? She's not invited What's wrong with her? Why? This is just, they, they were offended, uh, just, just couldn't understand why she's here. So why would she do that if this was her first time to meet Jesus? She had likely encountered Jesus, and we're going to understand as we read this text what she likely said or was said to her with this encounter. So she comes to the house with an alabaster jar of perfume, Again, it's not really weird. It's not like she had, you know, a bottle of Chanel that she was carrying around with her. Um, it, uh, alabaster a jar was probably something that could have hung around her neck. It was so common that um, the jewelry kind of clause about don't go to the temple with all your jewelry and stuff like that, it didn't apply if you had one of those alabaster jars. So it was this pretty costly container with even more costly perfume on the inside. And it was typical for that to be handed down from mother to daughter to mother to daughter to mother to daughter, generations. So that when the time was right, when there was something that was just spectacular, you were going to be prepared to use this expensive perfume. And so she comes with her, her alabaster jar, and as she stood behind Jesus, she was weeping. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, it didn't say crying. Crying means like one thing, right? Like, like <laughs> weeping. I guess the most stronger word is like sobbing. But as you keep reading, she was crying hard enough that standing at Jesus' feet, her tears began to wet his feet. Now, I don't think that she intended to come to this party to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. It's just what happened. She had an encounter with Jesus, and then she found out that he was near, and she just had to be with him. I think that this helps us understand what worship is, right? 
there are people who think that worship is the singing part, you know, so when Drew finished up, the worship portion of our program today is now concluded. Not so much. She, out of deep conviction, felt so much, loved so much that she was willing to go to a place that she knew she was going to get grief. She was going to get those nasty looks. People were going to be saying bad things about her. She went to a place where she knew she was going to have abuse heaped on her. Why? Because she wanted to worship. She pursued Jesus into a place she really wouldn't have wanted to be. That was the last place on earth that she would have liked to have signed up to go to supper. As she stood behind him, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she noticed, I'm making a mess. Not only causing a scene, but I'm making a mess. And what do I do to clean this up? I, you know, there's no towel. I don't know what to do. And so she lets down her hair. I don't know why she thought of that. But she let down her hair. Again, if you're just skimming through the text, it just sounds like another detail. But here is another faux pas. Jewish women didn't let their hair down in public. And I'm sure that the people who were watching what was going on, they weren't surprised. They thought, of course she's doing that. Oh my goodness. Can you believe this person? She began to wet her, his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a weird hang up for me. I, I don't know how you get to that point where you'll kiss somebody's feet. What kind of love must you feel to assume that this is the appropriate response to this situation? Do you, do you know people who you would put into the camp of like religious fanatic, right? They're just kind of weird. Have you ever wondered why they feel what they feel and why they're compelled to do what they do? It might be that we're guilty of, of being like the Pharisees in the house party, that we're just seeing something that we don't understand and we pass judgment on it. We condemn it as wrong and stupid and countercultural and politically incorrect, and we stand over in a different place and we tell the world how it should have been done. We're on the wrong side of the room. She wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, poured perfume on them. So the guy who invited him to the party, the Pharisee, I love this part. He said to himself, that's important, he said to himself, I'm guessing his mouth isn't moving, it's not ventriloquist time, he thought, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Translation, he's thinking, ooh, Jesus, do you see this woman? If you're who you say you are, you know what kind of woman she is. And you should be as offended as we are that she's touching you. Oh my goodness, this is scandalous. Luke says, Jesus answered him. Now, I, I just love that. Because this guy is thinking the mean, nasty thoughts in his head. And Jesus 
comes in on the tail of that and saying, hey, I've got something to tell you, Simon. Tell me, teacher. Two men owed a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. A denarii was a, a day's wages. So 500 days worth of work, 50 days worth of work. Either one's kind of a big deal, right? Neither one of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, even if you don't have a Bible in front of you, I can ask you to answer this question. 500 days worth of labor, 50 days worth of labor, both are forgiven. Who's going to love the forgiver more? Out loud. Right. Simon says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly. And if there were little bubbles that popped up in, in, in those days, the bubble would have popped up so that the Pharisee could have seen, Jesus is about to teach a lesson, and it's going to include you. You have spoken up and talked yourself into a corner, and now you become an object lesson for Jesus. So he turns to the woman and says to Simon, Do you see this woman? Because remember, this whole story was about what was going on in Simon's head, probably most every other head in the room. Jesus, do you see this woman? Do you, you, you know who she is? Do you know what she is? And Jesus says to Simon, do, do you see this woman? I came into your house. And you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Hey, Simon, you and your social club who have observed a woman and knew her past, have passed judgment on her, do you not realize that all of the social norms that are supposed to take place when you welcome someone into your home, you've just blown right past the stuff that's the, the bare minimums. You, you, you had nobody to, to wash my feet. You, you, just, you just did that. There, there was no uh, anointing my head with oil. Right, because it's it's hot, it's sunny, it's an arid climate. You know, you wipe that on, and it's it's you know a little moisturizer, I guess. <clears throat> you you greet them with a kiss to let them know you're 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 welcomed into my home. All the stuff that was basic understanding, you skipped. You went straight to judging somebody else's performance while you while you were neglecting the things that you should have been taking care of. Therefore, I tell you, tell who? You got a Bible in front of you? Who, who is he, Jesus talking to? He's talking to the, the Pharisee. He's talking to Simon, right? But I tell you, Simon, this woman that I asked you to look at, do you see this woman? I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Past tense. This is some of that... Uh, clarifying language that helps us understand Jesus' encounter with this woman and her story and her heart 
and her potential. Yet Jesus already had that conversation. He already spoke love and truth and forgave her. He already positioned her as a sister in the kingdom. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. It was almost as if he was saying, dude, act like her. She loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, I'm guessing for the second time. I'm guessing not for her benefit so much as everybody in earshot. When Jesus looks into her eyes and says, yes, your sins are gone, they're forgiven. Did you hear that, everybody in the room? This woman is justified. Stop with the name-calling. Stop with the judgment. Stop with the alienation. How about you act like she's a sister? Because her sins are forgiven. The other guests begin to say uh, amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I don't want you to, to misunderstand that your faith has saved you. Because we got to unpack that, right? Words have to be explained sometimes. Jesus wasn't saying that because you had such a great faith, your sins are forgiven. Because we already all know, right? There's nothing that I can do about my sin problem. I can't fix it. I can't stack good deeds on top of themselves. There's nothing I can do about my sin problem. There's only one solution. The spotless Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, and, and later in Luke, we read the story of his crucifixion where he got up on that cross and laid down his life to make good on a promise so that our sins are forgiven. I think what Jesus was trying to tell this woman, to tell the people in that room, written down in, in his word to, to help us understand, if you want to know what living on mission looks like. Pay attention to people and their story. Leverage your faith so that somebody else can be in a position to hear the gospel message. Because that kind of faith that, that, that will, I will go wherever I've got to go to be with Jesus. I will do whatever feels natural and right in response to the great love that he's shown me. I don't care if somebody else doesn't get it because I'm not doing it for them. This is my relationship with Jesus. And if drying his dirty feet with my hair seems right, then sister, do it. Generations, I don't know how long she's had this this alabaster jar. I don't know how long it had been in her family. I don't know. Grandmother and great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother and all these people who've gone before me have lived their life and not seen an occasion to break open this jar. Because it wasn't just unscrew the lid and just a little dab behind the ear. It was a one and done. I'm going to break it and I've got to use it. And it seemed right for her to pour that out on the feet of the man 
who gave her her life back, who, who redeemed her from sin and brought her into life. This was the occasion. This was the response. This was, I hear, now I do something about it. Because if you're listening to the world that's going on around you, don't participate in the argument for crying out loud. Just love people. Just love them. Just do right by folks. And when they start to wonder, explain. Give the answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. That's what living on mission looks like. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this woman and her shameful story. For her courage and commitment to walk into a room full of adversaries and just worship Jesus. God, help us to learn from her example. To just follow Jesus. To just give him our very best. Lord, thank you for that kind of love. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for giving us a purpose of living on mission, which means to listen to people and their story and then love them. Help us to do that because it's big work and it needs done. And we ask for courage. Help us to be effective and we ask it in Jesus' name.